Hebrews chapter 1, we began on last week, if you recall with me, we went, I provided you an overview of the book, and a lot of it really was to help us to see the emphasis in the book and the theme of the book, if you will, and some of the important uh, truths and warnings and charges that are present within the book. Uh, we are going to begin tonight to truly delve into this first chapter, and at least the first couple of verses of this first chapter, and there's much to consider even in the opening of this epistle. It is a phenomenal epistle, as I shared with you. There are um, some wonderful truths that are obviously consistent with the entirety of the teaching of Scripture, and uh, there are things in here as well that we view as we do in all Scripture in our studies. We must view them in light of the continuity or synthesis of Scripture, and so we must be aware of the consistency that is within the Word of God, and as we view all Scriptures. There are times you may come across, and I'm not, we're not going to get to these verses tonight, but there are times that you may come across a passage or a verse or a statement in God's Word that if you were to look at that statement alone without any other understanding of the teaching of God's Word, you may believe it to mean something it is not saying at all, that it's not declaring at all. But when you compare all Scripture with the Scriptures and see the continuity of the message, and you see how it is all it's all molded together, then we begin to understand the truths that are being spoken in the proper perspective or the proper, with the proper context. And so that's true in the book of Hebrew and, uh, Hebrews, and it's true throughout the Scriptures, as a matter of fact. But yet, uh, the book is filled with uh, riches and depths of the truth of Christ and explaining to us. It, it is one of the... Uh, Hebrews is one of the epistles that is probably one of the clearest in helping us to see how all of the types and shadows of the past, of the old, are fulfilled in the person of Christ. And it is beautiful to see that. It's a wonderful truth to be able to see in somewhat of great detail too, not just a generalization, but in great detail concerning that. And so we'll, we'll, I'm looking forward to getting into this book with you, of course, but we're going to begin in chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2 for our reading uh, this evening and then begin to unpack even these first two verses together. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And we'll stop our reading there for this evening. We may go into verse 3 before we're finished a little bit, but we'll stop our reading there. As we saw in our overview of this book, one of the emphasis of the book is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and men, while the theme of the book is that Christ is better, and he is the fulfillment of all that the prophets foretold and all that the law demanded. That is what Jesus spoke of when he said uh, to those in his day, in his earthly ministry, think not that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets, I've come not to destroy but to fulfill." He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The prophets declared all the truth of God to man, and the law demanded the righteousness, uh, demands righteousness be uh, the, the lived out. And yet Christ is the fulfillment of all of that, of the prophets foretold and all that the law demanded. The writer of Hebrews opens this book with an immediate focus on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is better than all that which pointed to him. All the shadows, all the types, he is the substance. And all of those things and all of those individuals were a reflection of him. And so we see that to be testified of within this 
book of Hebrews. The opening emphasis is declaring the superiority of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Word of God or as the divine expression of God the Father. Let me remind you of something, too, concerning shadows and types, if you will. Um, For there to be a shadow, there are two things that must be present for a shadow to exist. One is there must be light, and the other is there must be some form, some substance, of uh, something that is substantive, so that the light doesn't pass through that, if you will, but cast a shadow from that. And so it is with the types and shadows, even as we will see clarified within the book of Hebrews, that Christ has always been, and so all of God's light shining upon Christ, there are shadows throughout the Old Testament until the fullness of the time in which Christ would be manifested in the flesh, and then through his, his, his sinless life, his substitutionary sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, and his glorious ascension, we find that in all of that, everything that God required, the law required, and the prophets foretold, is fulfilled in Christ because he is the substance. He is the substance of of that which is true. He is the truth. And so all of these shadows were pointing us to him. And the book of Hebrews does such a, a tremendous job of explaining to us how Christ is better than all of these things. Better than the angels, better than the prophets, better than the priest, better sacrifice, better, uh, better mediator. He is just better, and, and that is being shown to us consistently through this book, with many more things as well. But that is an overarching theme throughout the entirety of the book. And it begins here early on. If you look at verse 4, for instance, being made so much better than the angels. There it is right away. It goes on to say, as he hath by inheritance attained a more excellent, a superior name than they. And so you see from the very beginning, it's showing us how Christ is better, better than the angels. The angels were created beings. Jesus is not a created being. He is better than the angels. He humbled himself even lower than the angels in the form of the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin. But yet he is better than even the angels, of course, obviously. And so it begins by this statement. So the opening emphasis is declaring the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, as the Word of God, or again, the divine expression of God the Father. So let's look at verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Throughout the scriptures, from the creation account in Genesis through to the book of Revelation, of the Revelation, we see God speaking to mankind. God's word is that very thing of God speaking to man. And the opening word of this epistle demands our attention. God. This is the word theos. It's the word from which our word theology is derived, which, of course, is the study of God, the study of all things that God has given to us in his person and such. And then you have, of course, theology proper, which is the literal study of God himself, his attributes, his character and such. But theology is the study of God. It literally means this. And so theos is, is theology derived from that. And that's the, that is what this word is, the first word of the epistle, God. And when we consider who the Lord is, remember, theology, the study of God, and theos being the name of God here. And when you study, when you study uh, who God is and consider who the Lord is in all of His holiness and all of His righteousness, remembering our hopeless and our horrible condition resulting from sin, it is truly a great mystery and something at which we should marvel that God would speak to man at all. And that's exactly how this book opens. God, 
who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. God spoke to man. That's what he's saying. And he did it in, and we'll see what this means in a moment, but in many different ways or in, and in portions. And so when we consider this truth of who God is, it's a wonder that God would speak to man at all. The Hebrew writer recognized this as indicated in chapter 2, in Hebrews 2, 6. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, this is a quote from the Psalms, but it's also a reference to other Old Testament passages. In Psalms 8, 4, the scripture says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Here's a direct quote from Psalm 8, 4. Now, remember, it begins God, who spoke to man. And ultimately, we'll see that he spoke through his son, or by his son, that's what he's getting to here. But he spoke in time past in diverse manners unto the fathers by the prophets. Still, the wonder, hear me please, the wonder God spoke to man. That in itself is amazing. And here it says in chapter 2, verse 6, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou would visitest him? The son of man that thou visitest him. In other words, why would God even fool with us? John 7 uh, I'm sorry, Job 7, 17 and 18 is another, uh, uh, this passage, even though he quotes in Hebrews, it quotes Psalm 8, 4, it also is a reference to these texts. Job 7, 17 and 18 says, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment? Again, what is man? Who is man that God would even waste any effort, and not, when I say waste, exert any effort, or time on man, or speak to man. Psalm 144.3, another verse to which this alludes. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? So again, who are we? What are we? Remember this truth, God. First word, God. See, if we don't consider the magnitude of what's being stated, it's because of this reason. If we don't understand even as Hebrews 2.6 says, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? And if we don't stand in wonder that God would speak to man, as we should even as this text opens, the very first word of the epistle, God, who then speaks to man, and then the, the question of what is man, who is man that you would talk to him, who is man that you would visit him, who is man that you would take knowledge of him, who is man that you would even make account of him. So the reason these questions are asked in relation to God speaking to man is because the writer of Hebrews has a proper view of who God is, which by default then results in having a proper view of who man is. But you cannot have a proper view of God while having an improper view of man, and you cannot have an improper improper view of God while having a proper view of man either. So the point is, if we don't see God for who he is, then we see ourselves for more than what we really, really are. But if we see God for who he is, then we begin to see ourselves for what we are. And then it is no wonder as to why we would be amazed that this God in his holiness and righteousness would ever speak to man at all. That he would bridge the gap that was necessary for this to be. Now there are a few things we must take note of in this verse in order to really appreciate and understand the following verse. First of all, God spoke at sundry times, the scripture says. This simply means that the Lord spoke in many portions. In other words, what that means is that it was a progressive revelation. So God revealed certain things at certain times in certain ways, and he spoke in portions. Progressive revelation simply means that the Lord was revealing his truth over time or in portions. 
Now, second, we see it says that God spoke in diverse manners. And the phrase diverse manners means in many ways. The Lord chose to speak to man in many ways or in different ways. While he could have, consider this, he could have written in the sky for all to see, or he could have spoken through the thunder for all to hear. He chose rather to use different men and different means whereby to communicate his truth to mankind. God could have done this universally. He could have. He could have done it universally and eternally, once and for all. Said it, spoke it, written it in terms of where all could see, everyone at one time could see that was alive in those moments. But yet that's not what he chose to do. He spoke in different means, in different ways, in different manners. And then third, God spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Here we see that the writer explains to whom and by what means the Lord spoke. He used the prophets to proclaim his truth. Now let's remember, he also he used Balaam's donkey, did he not? He also used the well in Jonah, the great fish or the well. In Jonah's account, now the, the well didn't say anything. Oh, but he spoke clearly to Jonah. Are you following what I'm saying? The Lord used different means. He used angels to speak, his messengers, heavenly messengers. He used different means to speak to man and to communicate with man throughout time. And we see here that this is an explanation now when he spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. He's talking about beforehand, times past. And he used the prophets to proclaim his truth primarily. The Lord, however, did not personally speak to all his people, but only to a select few. Now, when I say that, here's what I mean. When God used Jeremiah, he spoke to all the people, but he spoke through Jeremiah, having spoken personally to Jeremiah, or using Jeremiah as his mouthpiece. So when we think about God speaking to his people, God did not speak to all of his people personally. He spoke to them indirectly through his prophets. He spoke to them indirectly through, through the law. It's God's word, but God handed it to who? Moses. And so the point is, all the people were not on the Mount Sinai where God's glory passed by before Moses. Moses was. Who really dealt with God there? Who did God really deal with? Moses. Now, the people were benefactors of that, and there's no doubt that God's word still went out to the people, but in a sense, it was indirect in that it wasn't God directly speaking to them. So God spoke unto the fathers, a group of people, unto the fathers, right? Not all the people, unto the fathers, by the prophets, in John 9, 29, we're told, we know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. Now, this is when, of course, the man is healed, and he's testifying of Jesus and how Jesus has healed him. And then they're going, we don't know who this man is. And, and speaking of Christ, he says, well, we know God spoke through Moses. We know that. So even they recognize God spoke directly to Moses and through Moses. Now, this explanation helps to set up the great contrast we find in the following verse in verse 2. So let's read verse 1 again. God who at sundry times, different times, and in diverse manners, in, 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 in portions and by different means, different portions, different means, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. But now look at verse 2. Hath in these last days, past time, now last days, spoken unto... Wait a minute. Not... Not unto the fathers, not unto the elite, not unto a select group. Meaning, 
among believers, that is. But he's spoken unto us by not the prophets, by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Although this verse displays a contrast from the previous verse, which is obvious when you just read the two together, there is one thing that we see does not change. What is the one thing that does not change in this, between the two verses? God speaks. God has spoken. This is the one thing that does not change. In other words, listen to this. It's the same God speaking in the last days, now, then and now, that spoke in times past. Different means, and not even in portions anymore. And I'm going to help you to see that. It's really not in portions anymore. It was in sundry times, in diverse manners, in, many, in different many portions, and in different manners or means or ways. God spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. He spoke through a mouthpiece to the people, but he did not speak directly to all the people. Now, it means personally in that sense. And there are two wonderful truths we find in verse 2 that every believer can and should rejoice in. Number one, the Lord has now spoken directly to us. As wonderful as it is to hear others speak of Christ, and as wonderful as it is to hear preaching that is centered on Christ, we are not dependent upon others to speak on His behalf. Every believer can open God's Word, and through it, God has spoken to us. Look, that's a a wonder in itself. And how often we take that for granted, really we do. That God has spoken directly to us through His Word, and He has provided us discernment by His Spirit dwelling within us to receive that which He has spoken. And to have, when I say receive it, have an understanding of it. Now, we need teaching. We need preaching. Scripture's clear on that. But you don't have to depend on any man for you personally to hear from God. You need to go to the Word of God to hear from Him. This truth as well reflects the reality that Christ is the mediator. We don't have to have other men tell us what He has said, but He tells us directly in His Word. And again, God uses men to teach us. He uses men to instruct us. And that's a biblical teaching that is consistent throughout Scripture as well. But we don't have to, we don't, listen, we don't need an earthly priest. We have a heavenly high priest that is better. And that's what Hebrews is teaching us. And he is not only priest representing us to God, but he's also, he's prophet representing man, God to man. He is priest, representing man to God, and he is king. He is prophet, priest, and king. So why do I need someone else to hear indirectly from God? I hear directly from him, not a voice. I'm not talking about hearing an audible voice. I'm talking about receiving his word as he has spoken. And God has given us discernment that we might receive. Number two, I told you there's two truths here that are significant. He has spoken to us by his son. Now, here's the difference between verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1, sundry times in many portions, diverse manners, many different ways, right? Under the fathers themselves, by the prophets, specific ones God used as his mouthpiece. But is now spoken unto us 
in these last days by his son, which is now complete revelation. Then you say, wait a minute, I don't understand everything in the scriptures. That may be true. But it's still a complete revelation. Let me explain that to you. The only thing that could be more glorious than the fact that God has spoken to us is the manner in which he has done so. He has spoken by his son. Where we saw God spoke at sundry times in many portions, and now he has spoken his complete revelation of himself to mankind through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he has chosen to reveal himself. I'm not telling you that in the scriptures we see a complete revelation of who God is. I'm telling you we have a complete revelation of how God has chosen to reveal himself to man. That's the reality of it. Colossians 2, 8 through 10, you know the verses, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Wait a minute, God has spoken by his Son. Remember that? And who is his son? Was any prophet the fullness of the Godhead bodily? No. Was any prophet the fullness of God at all? No. But who is? Christ. And how has God spoken? By his son. And, verse 10, ye are complete in him, fulfilled or filled in him. Remember who is the head of all principality and power. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We are made complete in him. God has spoken by his son unto us full revelation, complete revelation that is, as he has chosen to reveal himself. It is in Christ, through Christ and in Christ that we are made complete because it is in Christ and through Christ that God has revealed himself. John 1, 1 through 3, you cannot obviously read Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 without going back to John 1, 1 through 3 as well. In the beginning was the word. An interesting an interesting title to be given here, is it not? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, that's interesting because when you get to verse 3, we're told, Upholding all things by the Word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. And He's saying here, of course, that is Christ, who's appointed heir in verse 2, of all things by whom also he made the worlds. So John 1, 1 through 3 and Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 are very similar in their content. And he's saying here, all things in John 1, 3, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. But in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. The, this complete revelation is realized in and through the Scriptures. God has, has completely revealed himself to us as he has so chosen to do through the word, meaning Jesus himself and within his word, the scriptures. Remember this truth. There is the, the triune God, three persons, one eternal divine being. And in the triune Godhead, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And again, I remind you, it's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in the triune Godhead, you have these three persons, distinct persons, eternally existing or, or, or being as one divine eternal being. And so in the Godhead, 
you have the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning God. And that word, word, logos, if you will, and, and it, it speaks, of course, of word or speech or speaking or, or, that, or even communication, if you will. It, it could be considered that. But yet, let us understand that when you come to Hebrews 1, as we just read a moment ago, and you look at verse 3, which we've not read yet, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Christ is the divine expression of the Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then you know verse 14 of John 1, of course. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so you find that it's the the Word became flesh. Christ became flesh and dwelt among us, but He's always been with the Father and... He is the divine expression of the Father. Colossians as well teaches us so clearly concerning his preeminence as we've studied over the past months now in our study through Colossians and on Sunday mornings. If you recall with me, again, he is the image of the invisible God, remember? And God has revealed himself through his Son to us who is the fullness, as we read a moment ago, of the Godhead bodily. So the living word is the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you have the written word, which is a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reality of it is, the two are inseparably linked. The living word testifies of, I mean, the the written word testifies of the living word. But the written word came by the living word. And so these are inseparably linked. You cannot separate them. And the moment you do, by the way, the moment you begin, and this is why it's so important to have a proper hermeneutic concerning your study of God's Word as well, because the moment that you try to separate Jesus as being the focal point of all of Scripture is the moment you are trying to separate the living Word from the written Word. And it's impossible to do. And so you see that He is the fullness of the God Bodily, and He is the divine expression of God. Therefore, this is a complete revelation. But again, you may ask and say, well, how can that be when I don't see things clearly all the time? I didn't say you fully, completely understand the revelation. I said it is a complete revelation as God has so chosen to reveal himself to mankind. So while in the Old Testament, the Lord progressively revealed his truth, which is what that means about sundry times in many portions. So in many portions, God revealed his truth. And there were truths in the Old Testament that were, or there were truths in the New Testament that are not revealed in the Old Testament. But yet, God was progressively revealing truth to man. So while in the Old Testament, the Lord progressively revealed his truth, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit progressively illuminates us to his revealed truth. So we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We have the complete revelation of God to man as he has chosen to give it to us in his word. The problem is not, again, listen to me please, even in the Old Testament the scripture speaks to this concerning even the people of Israel and how it says that there would be a famine in the land. What was the famine in the land? There's a famine in the land, not of bread, not of water, but of 
hearing the Word of God. Not the Word of God, of hearing the Word of God. Not necessarily. It could, I mean, I, I had to look at the context of that. But it's speaking directly of the fact that men aren't hearing. Not even a famine of the existence of God's Word, but of hearing the truth of God's Word. So the point of the matter is, we do not have a famine today, and I'm not saying that passage is speaking of us, but I'm saying we do not have a famine of the Word of God. We have a famine of hearing the Word of God. We don't, people say things like this all the time, oh, just pray that God speaks. No, God has already spoken. Don't pray God speaks. You're putting blame on God that does not belong to Him. Pray that you have ears to hear what God has said, and a heart to receive what God has said, and an eyes to see what God has said, because God has already spoken. God is not lacking speech. We lack in hearing what he has said. And so the problem is not with God. Who is the problem with? With us. God in these last days hath spoken unto us by his son. Oh, he's already spoken. It's done. The problem is not he's not speaking. The problem is we're not hearing. That is the problem. And so when you look at this complete revelation of God to man, Old Testament, he's progressively revealing truth. New Testament, truth is already revealed, but he's, the Spirit of God progressively illuminates our minds, our hearts, our eyes, our ears to his revealed truth. John 14, 25 through 26, Jesus said these things to his disciples. Have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you? But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Now listen to the next statement. And bring all things to your remembrance. What all things would the Holy Spirit bring to their remembrance? He's going to teach them, and he's going to remind them, but remind them of what? what whatsoever I have said unto you. So Jesus is saying, he's going to teach you, reminding you what I've already said to you. John 16, 12 through 14. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Jesus speaking to his disciples. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Now remember, the scriptures had not yet been written when Jesus says this. So there was still going to be progressive revelation at this point. But once the scriptures were completed, once we had God's revelation to, of himself to man, it is the spirit that teaches, it is the spirit that reminds us, just as the disciples said, as Jesus told his disciples that day it would be, so the same is true in this respect, that we have his revelation, and the spirit of God provides us discernment, illuminates our hearts and minds to his truth at the moment of salvation and then afterward. Now understand, Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples and the proper immediate context is that there was still truth that they would come to understand and learn and yet truth that they had not yet even fully received because the Spirit of God was going to inspire his word and his word had not yet been given in its fullness, in its completion but it has been to us. The book of Hebrews makes it very clear that Jesus is both prophet and priest on our behalf. 
And as we saw in our introduction into the book of Hebrews, the difference between a prophet and a priest is that a prophet represents God to man, thus saith the Lord, and a priest represents man to God. It is the priest, again, who offered the atonement for the sin unto the Lord on the people's behalf. So it's no small matter, then, that God would speak to man. This is not a small thing. God, the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God who spoke all things. How, do you, how did God create? You, you hear these stories, and it makes, look, it makes for interesting story time. I get it. But you hear people say, well, God took his finger that he doesn't have, right? And he, he carved out the valleys, and he mounded up the mountains. How did God create the world? He spoke. He simply spoke. He did not get his hands involved, which he doesn't have, involved in the making. He spoke, and it was. The power of his word was how he created. And who is the word? Jesus. So Jesus is the creator. That same God has spoken to us in the same powerful way by his word, the Son. This is no small thing. God spoke to man by his Son. It's the same Jesus who not only spoke the world into existence, but as well rules and reigns over all as Lord. The Father has appointed him heir of all things, the Scripture says. Verse 3. I'm just going to read it and speak on it in a moment and we'll be finished. Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the divine expression of God, and upholding all things by the word of his power, the same (laughs) Jesus being the brightness of whose glory? The Father's. And the express image of whose person? The Father's. And upholding all things by the word of his power, Jesus when he had himself purged our sins, Jesus sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sat down on the right hand of God the Father. By the way, the word being is, in the, is the present participle of the word be. This indicates that it's a continuous state. It's not that Christ was the brightness of his glory and Christ was the express image of his person, but rather it's that Christ is. He is. He always has been, is, and always will be. It's continuous state. I am that I am. It's interesting, too, that you bring that up. I was going to mention that, and I'll probably get to that next week. But if you think about when Jesus was in the garden, if you recall, and they come to take him away, and Judas, of course, kisses the Lord. But after that, remember, they, or during that process, they'd ask Jesus, are you Jesus? Remember, are you the Christ or what have you? And Jesus said, remember that now in, in our translation, it says that he, he stated, I am he. But that's actually not what he said. He said, I am. And when he said, I am, guess what they did? They fell back. Why? The power of the great I am. This is the word. This is the word that is spoken to us. God, who one time in time past, in many portions and different ways, spoke unto the fathers by the prophets, in these last days has spoken unto the elders of the church. No. 
in these last days has spoken to church leadership or deacons. No, in these last days has, and by the way, deacons are not church leaders. I was just throwing that in with them. Has spoken unto us, us, by his son. Hear me. God has spoken to us. You have in your hands, if you have the word, a copy of the word of God tonight, you have God's word. Not the living word, you have the written word, which is a testimony of the living word. The living word gave us the written word. It's the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ by which we have his word. And it's the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, by which we are reminded of all that Christ said as the disciples were, so we are as well. And it's by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, that the Word of God, we are illuminated to the Word of God. The living Word testifies, or the living Word gave us the written Word, the written Word testifies of the living Word, and God has spoken to us by His Word, Christ, His Son. It is Jesus who is the express image of His person, his divine expression of himself to mankind. We could not see God, but man has seen Jesus in the flesh revealed, and we one day as well shall see him. God has spoken to us. Is that not a wonder? Is that not an amazing truth that God would speak to us? We often talk about the privilege it is to speak to the Lord, and it is, that God has given us access by the Lord Jesus Christ unto his throne of glory by which we can come to him at any moment, at any time, always granted access because it is not we who are worthy, but Christ who is worthy, who is received of the Father. Hence, we are received as long as Christ is received. And what a wonderful truth that is. But hear me, do not discount the fact that God has spoken to us. And I think as much as important as it is for us to bear our hearts out before the Lord and be in continual communication, praying always without ceasing, let us not marginalize that which God has said. For might I say to you, that which God has said is far more important than anything we might ever have to say. So may we be mindful of that as we read, as we study, as we pray. May we do so considering what he has said. And may what he has said not only influence, but determine that which we have to say, even him. Let's pray. Father, thank you again.